Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. The, uh, thanks for listening. The real intro to this will start in a second. I was going to say, I recorded this episode with Jesse a few months back, and um, I'm really glad it's the last one of the year because I think that it... Uh, I started this show this year, and I think that Jesse tells a story in the middle of this that, that for me, uh, hits on so many of the themes that, that we all talk about. And um, as, you, as we all head into the new year, uh, I know I'm going to go back and, and listen to it again. And um, and her story is one of uh, of at first making a choice that I think was not um, not in her best interest and for the wrong reasons. And I think all of us hit these moments when we could go left or right and when we allow fear or conventional thinking to have too loud a voice. And um, I was really brave of Jesse to talk about it. And uh, I'm so glad that, that in the end... Uh, she figured it all out, and I hope that um, everyone can take something from it. I know that I did. Thanks for listening for this entire year. I'm so touched that we've been having this big conversation. It it means the world to me to engage in it with you, and uh, I can't wait to keep doing it in 2015. So thanks, and here's the show with Jesse Klein. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jessie Klein. She is a hilarious and a brilliant woman. And uh, I'm thrilled to have her here. Jessie is the executive producer and head writer for Amy Schumer's show. She's had her own specials on Comedy Central. She wrote for Saturday Night Live. She's told three absolutely killer stories on the moth that you can find. And she's just incredibly uh, smart, integral part of the New York comedy world and now uh, her comedy through Schumer's show um, is getting the kind of exposure it it should have always gotten. I've met her a few times and uh, and each time I've come away really uh, impressed by her incredible wit, her bracing honesty and uh, her warmth. And I'm excited to talk to Jesse Klein, who's going to be here soon. Uh, Thank you all for listening, for leaving comments, for leaving those uh, great reviews on iTunes. If any of you want to reach me, you can find me at themomentbk at gmail.com. If you send me uh, movie pitch ideas or anything like that, uh, I will not only delete the tweet, but I will silently curse your name. But anything else? Fire away. Thanks. Jesse will be here soon. Oh, well, you, did, you didn't have to. There's no requirement that you have to bring food. It's a cultural thing? It's a cultural. Yeah. Okay. I have to bring a real nosh. Wait, I'm going to, like, turn my phone off. And yeah, turn your phone off. I'm going to turn mine off Brian, as well. I, well, I don't know if I should just save it for this day. Say whatever you want. No, but I'll just say the nice thing, which is I was listening to you and Berbiglia. Yes. And I was like, this is the best conversation I've ever listened in on. 
and was secretly like hoping and wishing. I was like, how could I ever? Which one is which? Doesn't matter. No. Can you hear? Just can you hear yourself? Yes. Okay, good. I don't want to. I don't want to stop you from what you're saying. Okay, it was a great conversation. <laughs> no, it's, it's a, it was an amazing conversation. I had a little. Uh, I guess as a white girl, I have to say that I put it in the universe that I wanted to do your podcast. And then, you know what happens when you put something in the universe. Well, and no, ten I, minutes later, you emailed me. Oh, was that true? Was mm-hmm. it that, like, sort of quickly? It was really that weird. I was listening to you, and then you emailed me. Is that um, more the secret or more, what's the other guy? Or more the universe. Eckhart, what's the Eckhart? Oh, Eckhart Tolle. Is it more Eckhart to- Tolle? Or more He's the, the gross the, one. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, which part of that isn't? I uh, you, you, do, do you, you know the thing about Eckhart Tolle though? Can I? Do you know that he? Because like he's he became this huge thing. He's yeah. super empowered by Oprah. He was just like a guy, like who like he his story was just like one day I was sitting on a park bench and I just had all these ideas. He's not. He's like in no way qualified to be like a guy. Yeah, but but uh, but who is? How how would one get the qualification to be um, a late twentieth century, which he was then, right before this century? Yeah, he spans two centuries. Yeah, what are the qualifications to be a guru? Um, I'll know it when I see it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that he doesn't have it? <laughs> isn't it only? I don't know. I tried to read that book and I was like, oh, I feel worse than ever. Isn't it only Oprah's approval? Because, you, okay, here's the great thing. Yeah, like, yes. I'm going to unpack. I'm unpacking the notches. Because it's a very modern thing, which is, uh, or like you, you put it out in the universe, but then you the also universe. tweeted great convo for Biggs and Brian, which then made me see that. And then I was like, oh, I should have Jesse on. Oh, really? Did so, I do that right before? Right you, after? You took action. Oh, maybe I did. See, I put it in the universe, and I troll. <laughs> I trolled for it a little bit. <laughs> a little, a little bit. Like I may have trolled, but I did. I mean, I was like, oh, that doesn't mean he would have me on his podcast. Well, no, and I did but, want people to listen to it. No, yeah, no, I knew. I didn't feel there was any sort of. Um, You'll get this compliment on condition of my uh, yeah. invite. I didn't feel there was some sort of an impure right. motive. These are great. That's a great looking notch. Okay, I can't. I can't possibly. Are you not going to have any of the notches? No, and I, I know that that's so good because that place gets great donuts from the place on Twenty Fourth Street. I know from Top Pot, but this was the last donut. Obviously, these were the last cookies because they're oatmeal. You're and awesome. then obviously this is the last Rugula because it's raspberry. All of these things would have been different flavors. You know, people have said, I think you're the third woman to be on the show. And if I would have known <laughs> that the women were coming with noshes. With noshes. I can't with go anywhere with a nosh. Well, I'm going to eat some of the nosh. Please, so, you eat. Because I, I haven't. Do you, are you on a, what are you doing? You don't do sugar or something? Yeah. I, um, I had Tim Ferriss who wrote The 4-Hour Body. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. Oh. speaking of gurus. Yeah. Um, I had Tim, He feels qualified to me. That guy's so qualified. He feels really he's qualified. He's qualified to do... The only thing you can say about Ferris is um, he's qualified to do so much more than he actually does. It's like, wait, no, we all appreciate you're giving this little bit back to yeah. us. And yes, it's making you really wealthy. Yeah. But you could be solving... Yeah. But he is... Something you know, with engineering. He's solving those things. I mean, yeah, he's a brilliant person. and um, He's all four-hour stuff. Yeah. I mean, Four-hour work week. The four-hour body... He talks about the fact, you know, he had pressure, I think, to use the name, but I will just say that it works. Um, okay. Do you do the four-hour? I, I Are you doing the four-hour body? His, I followed, I started following his thing. I probably weighed 224. You look I, very small. And I weigh 204 now. Oh, my God. Not an extra ounce 
all every part of it is covering part of your skeleton. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing extra. No, I, I have another 15 or 20 pounds I to don't lose. Think but so. the point I is that that's why I would love to. But for me, that's crack. If I ate the okay. donut, I'd eat both cookies. So is this actually like not? No, no, helpful? it's not hurting me. It's oh, okay. been long enough. I'm fine. Okay, it's like when you're like with Jesse sober person. Klein is here, everybody. <laughs> Uh, Moving donuts and cookies and away I'm from I'm so Brian. happy. I am. I gotta say, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so psyched. But we'll edit this, right? Because just in general, I don't want to feel like every moment has to be so brilliant. Well, do you normally have the pressure that you think like every moment has to be brilliant in what you present? Oh no! Why are you so <laughs> no? Oh, you're such a good interviewer. I was listening to your interview with um Zone One guy um Colson Whitehead, and uh, that got really deep. But you really like prodded him on like, why do you hate yourself so much? <laughs> and he would not, he could, he would not crack. Colson's a perfect, like a, a, a genius and a yeah. different kind of perfectionist. Um, and, and I'm not going to let you evade because, uh, you know, having watched your stuff and, and listened to it. And the thing I was going to say about seeing you perform that night is yep. what a pro you are, how well, how you do the trick of making your material uh, seem not crafted, but it seems it's incredibly crafted. So I was going to say, <laughs> sometimes I try to make it crafted. Sometimes I I have to bail on the craft. That's what I was going to say. What, what's that pressure? Is it like the even what you said? I mean, you know what a podcast is, and yet you're like, I don't want to think every moment. Do you have feel like this pressure to be entertaining? Yeah, yeah. I will say I did have like a big, uh, I did have a big Eckhart Tolle moment. <laughs> no, I had a realization. Uh, I've talked to other comedians about this and I've and I've read other writers and comedians talk about this and whenever I've seen it it makes me feel a lot better which is uh I always feel like the person at a party or during a dinner where like if it feels like there's going to be a moment of silence that I have to fill it or I used to feel this way like I felt like I have to do this like god forbid there's a dead space because no one else will feel like no one else professionally like talks and writes and maybe they can't come up with stuff. And so I have to, which is an incredible, it could sound, maybe that's very narcissistic, but it comes more, I think from the way I grew up and like feeling like I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. And then you realize, and I had a bad moment where I got called out on it. I, Why who? Uh, like kind of a stranger. One time me and my then boyfriend were at, um, we were at like an inn where like, and it was during the 2010 um, crazy snowstorm that happened, like either right after Christmas or right before Christmas. So everyone was snowed in and had to eat together at the inn. Right. And so it was me and boyfriend, husband, and this other couple, very nice. And I was also because they were strangers, I had to, I was like really feeling the pressure to do the thing of like, I'm going to make sure like, they can tell they're taken care of. No one's got to think or speak. I got it. I got it. And then at one point, I guess I was overfilling in and the woman, and she didn't mean to be mean, but she just said something where she was like, oh, you really, she didn't say you really talk a lot, but it was something like that. And it like, I, it made me realize I was talking too much. Were we in Vermont? Where were we? No, this is like upstate New York. So I was trying to figure out where the woman would be, like, what her cultural <laughs> thing was. I know, was. I know, I know. She, but it really, but it was the great, it was, it was the greatest gift, Brian, oh, because, uh, tell no, me, Gail. no, it really was because it was the first time I ever realized I became aware that people 
it was bothering people and that if I gave it a moment, someone else would jump in. And I started experimenting at dinners where there'd be a silence and I'd feel the feeling of I have to feel it. And I'd just be like, see if someone else does. And here's what you learn. Someone else always does. Right. You were doing, but you did the work. I love that you decided that you were going to do that work and you kept to it. I kept, I, I really consciously think about it a lot. But so, um, I was recently, I was working on a movie and, uh, the writer, I was, something I was producing and the writer, uh, wrote a scene where this kid is talking at the dinner table um, with his parents and filling the space just like that. And the director had a really happy childhood and didn't understand what the scene was really about. And the writer came up to me and said, uh, he obviously had a really happy childhood because he doesn't know why people really <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I understand yeah. exactly what you're saying, but I, so I want to dive into it, which is... Yeah, yeah. So clearly... I mean, growing up, what were you trying to keep things from, like, either exploding? Like, what was that? Oh, yeah, from both exploding and imploding. It just felt like if my hands weren't gripping it, it was going to go in one direction or another. Outwards or inwards, too far. How young were you when you realized, like, this is tenuous? Very, very young. Yeah, very young. Uh, I mean... I guess like on some level, right, every comedian, obviously, like you're do you're you're saying something for some reason, right? Like you have that you're compelled and you've probably been compelled. It's probably been since you were born. So I would say, I mean, there was no moment like age four. Like I always from the time I remember being a conscious uh, organism, I remember feeling like I better I better try to like keep keep the energy up in <laughs> in this household or things are going to go pretty dark that pressure so did you have that no i mean i my parents liked each other basically and my sisters and i liked each other we all we all i mean there were we liked each other no my parents sometimes had uh, at various times um difficult moments but it, it it wasn't really a dysfunctional home in that in that way for me right um for most of my childhood. You didn't feel like it was going to explode or implode. Especially not, I would say, later for my sisters when I was, you know, 15, 16, maybe there was a little more tension at times. Right. And maybe for my little sister, Jennifer, who's a radio host. Oh, really? And who talks about this stuff a lot. Maybe for, for her, there were moments that were harder, four years apart. But, but I'm I'll, four years apart with my siblings. It's a great, I mean, I'll say... Great gap. My... my <laughs> son and daughter are four years apart and they're best friends yeah. there are three of us though and um we were we were fine and, and and didn't i don't think none of us felt that thing of uh if we don't speak people are either going to sit in silence or horrible things are going to be said or someone's going to walk out there was just a nice steady banter just a steady or or a calm peace yeah that thing um the bedrock thing in our household, and something we're really lucky about, is that the three of us always did know that our parents, right, like loved and supported us, right, 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 which and each t- other, yeah. Which at the time I didn't know it was even. And are they are they married? Are they with their your parents like with mm-hmm. us 
married together apart. Wait, I'm going to interview you. So okay, no, but I'm curious. Around. I'm curious. My dad's still alive. My okay. mom died six years ago. Okay. Um, she died young at 64. It was very, you know, brutally oh, sad. But, I'm sorry. But the, thank you. But the point is we didn't have uh, that thing, but I am very close with people who had this. why so I recognize it. Yeah. And um, what... What were you afraid? What were you really afraid of happening? Oh God! Oh God! Why are how you, you build go- your? Because you talk about this on stage. You talk about not you maybe not your parents exactly, but in the way that you felt about yourself at that time in high school. Yes. <laughs> if the look on Brian's face is very like I got you, and I'm, and the look on my face is yeah, you do got me. Because I never, I really don't talk about my parents on stage, which is somewhat a conscious decision. Um, although I think that might be changing. Um, what was going to happen? Well, uh, I mean, my parents, my parents love each, they are still married. They've been married almost 50 years. Uh, so it's not like, oh, we were in the middle of a terrible divorce, but it was very hard. Uh, I guess, relatively speaking to things that are probably harder, but they were, it was like financially hard. We grew up in a very small apartment. My parents are quite odd, uh, more my dad than my mom. And, um, he's got, you know, and you can always, I don't, people never talk about seeing the dysfunction in their grandparents really. And like, but I mean, my grandmother just died two years ago. She was a great lady. She was 97 when she died. So, I mean, I watched my grand. I grew up with them. And, uh, I mean, they were super f***ed up. Sorry. Say whatever you want. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's like you see your parents. Where were your grandparents? Were they born here? Were they here. European? Are they born here? My great-grandparents are not from here. But my grandparents were born in New York. Right. So they were odd. My grandparents, my grandparents were less... Uh, odd then my grandfather was somewhat there was a criminal element he he lived like a very extreme life and so my father was the product of this sort of very screwed up all over the place childhood um and as a result he himself both a little crazy and also uh, also extremely risk averse uh-huh. And so Cho, even though he himself is a tremendous artist and is actually a poet, uh, and he still writes every day and writes incredible poetry, but he was a probation officer for 33 years. So that was kind of what would have exploded or imploded. Right. You had this this pressure of uh, at least one parent not living the life that... Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. And I think just... Um, they're also like I, I describe them as like sort of New York Jewish hillbillies. It's like a very specific breed of like very intellectual people, but who live like wolves. I you know yeah, and I'm sure you are no familiar. like book you know so they're like b- bookish, bookish wolves, bookish right. Jewish wolves. Yeah, who I, don't ever go out to eat ever. I know a bunch of people like that who then moved like upstate. And they would like have open camps and like they. Some of them open camps. Some of them do open camps. They'll open a camp here or there. They will if they're in the mood. They'll do it. They will. They They'll will run right up to Albany. Oh. Like 
they'll say like, oh, I live in a place 30 miles out of a town, 20 miles oh, out sure. of Albany, and we have this great, yeah. we have a camp. And Set we've up had one ping pong table, you got a camp. They have a camp, and there's a pond. <laughs> got a pond, there's no, one koi I, in there, it's a camp. I know those people. I went to college with like the son and daughter. Of, oh, really? Yeah, people, I understand exactly yeah. what you're doing. Because it, it, it has to do with how your comedic point of view formed in some way which was were they your, like were they your first audience for your jokes or um, would you hold back did they understand that you looked at the world in a skewed way i think they um you know it's funny uh i got married last year and uh i asked my dad to give a toast and it was very <laughs> very stressful because my dad is just i knew he would He's a writer and he's he he's an incredible when he writes he's he's incredibly expressive um but also very socially awkward uh having been like this Jewish wolf for so long so um and I remember the day before the wedding and I wasn't like I was having some kind of uptight like oh everything has to be perfect wedding but I I was like I would like it to be just to go forward like i would like it to happen you didn't want the wedding to just come no apart. i just wanted it to occur sure in some sort of order That's i wasn't fair. trying to like you crazy. sent the invitations you hired <laughs> yeah. the caterer yeah no i mean money was spent yeah but so i remember the day before i just said to my mom i was like just make sure that da and they call him da make sure da has his toast or his speech like remember just because he could forget it and she was like oh i don't think he wrote anything down I was like, mmm. And then I spoke to my I spoke to my dad and I was like, Da, did you you didn't write anything? He's like, I got it. And then uh the moment came and he you know, like parents with a microphone is just always like a heartbreak. <laughs> like everyone's heart shatters in <laughs> every wedding I've ever been to and the parent has to hold a microphone. It's like a panic attack. But so he this is a long way of saying he said one thing, he gave a beautiful a beautiful toast and he said one thing that was incredibly meaningful and in some ways I mean I'm 39 now I was 38 at that moment 38 years he said one thing which I'll never forget which was he was like Jesse's role in our family she decided early on was going to be to try to make the family better and it was there was like this moment of like oh they noticed Ah, that's great. Yeah, and it was like truly he gave. It was like the gift. It was the greatest gift. Uh, that's beautiful. You just wonder how many years of therapy he could have saved you. <laughs> I'm. If you if you just start it, adding up the dollars, because I don't even get reimbursed for that. Yeah, if he would have just said it ten years earlier. Yeah, I noticed you're trying to make years, our family better. Five years earlier. <laughs> Thanks, even. Dad. Yeah, yeah. You know, your therapist when you told her Thanks. must have been like, or him. Their therapist must have just been like, oh, I guess this is the end for me. <laughs> We're all set here. Damn Bye. it. Bye. You're going to have to add uh, that wing to your house some other yeah, way, Gene. That must have been, you could just tell. That, yeah. yeah. The therapist went home and said, uh, you have a man or woman? Uh, lady. Yeah. She's she, lady. She went home and she definitely said to her husband or whatever, Yeah. Oh, I had a horrible day at work yeah. today. I'm going to have to find another client. I had a really bad day. But but no. that was his way. It, but so in the sense of like, did I tell jokes? No, but I always... It was it was often a dreary mood, and I would try to you lift were the, glue. the mood. You I was were the kind glue. of the glue. I was kind of the glue. Yeah, that's really interesting when you think about the 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 path. Yeah, because you were you were support in a way. 
Uh, I, w- I just didn't want it to be, I thought we could all do a little better. <laughs> <laughs> were you, um, were you a good student? I was a very good student. Right. Yeah. To the detriment of like my own happiness and joy in any way. But it mattered to you. It definitely, I was very much like a dad pleaser. Uh, Did, and, was it important that people thought you were smart? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, I suppose I was mainly like, I need to do this because my dad wants me to do this. And it's very important to him that I do well. So I'm going to just make things easy and do well. Uh, and then on another level, I was definitely not uh, doing well in any other department, if you get my drift. So I was like, I guess I'll be smart. Right. You mean socially? No, I was like very ugly duckling, like very shy. Uh, although fourth fourth grade, things changed because I finally got a friend. I got a best friend. It's a huge moment. Huge moment. And randomly, my best friend, my mom sort of knew her mom and kind of smushed us together. And she was a very... Uh, like sort of caretaker type. She was like on my so-called life. She was kind of like a Rayanne. So I sort of like became friends with this popular like. And you were girl. able to hang in. And I I hung in, and I it was vital to my development that I found that friend. But she also she was very beautiful, and she kind of looked like Bridget Bardot by the time she was like like blonde and like very just striking. And so I became like funny sidekick friend. And you can kind of, from there, we can just yeah, avalanche our way. Right, yeah. And today. here we are. Yeah. This but, podcast is over, right? So when, when you, uh, did you hang with her all the way through high school? I did. Yeah. Are, we are went you, to different schools, but we stayed, we were, we lived very close. Does she just hate Schumer for usurping her and taking her <laughs> Loathes. She must. I don't, you know, actually we are not, we, we've kind of lost touch but I mean, it was a long, it was a long friendship. But it wasn't, a, you know, it, it's interesting. High school friendships, when you, um, the, it, their passions are so, it's so important. And the passion. So intense. Is so intense. So intense. And yeah, even when you say we lost touch, it, it's like almost, it's almost very passive and everything. But I was just. Oh, no, there's clearly, like, a ton of stuff that went down. <laughs> but, I mean, it really, it is interesting that you say that because I think you we do, like, like, my husband isn't really friends with anybody that he was friends with in school. And I'm still very close friends with other people from even my, one of my best friends from junior high, like, very young age. And the fact that he has lost touch with all of those friends I'm always fascinated and somewhat disturbed by it. Well, yeah, that's it's I love you, man. I mean, that's the premise of I love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I love you, man. I mean, he has other friends. He has male friends and female friends. But I don't he just you. he does. I think it's just you. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> you find that I've never been married. I actually, my parents are divorced. No, no, I, Everything I, I've said is a lie. I believe you have a husband. I just think he's just, it's just, no, no, cut no. everybody else. Oh my be God. Be honest. You cut them all out. I cut them all out. I'm really not into him talking to other people and it just makes me jealous and I don't think it's that yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> I'm crazy. And I just start we, eating all the cookies I brought and then I cry. I'm glad we, yes. And then the crying and then the cry. is important. No, but because of the cookies. Because of the, oh, the believe me, when your sugar spikes, it's tears all the way. But um, no, I think like... I think high school friendships and junior high school friendships, uh, I am amazed when people just sort of casually talk about them being over because I still, that friend, my Bridget Bordeaux friend, we're friends on Facebook and I think about her all the time. But you haven't made the phone call. We, uh, 
we kind of grew apart and we genuinely became I like very different like she's a completely different person and I guess that's normal from when you're 10 no, to when you're that. almost 40 but yeah we we kind of divert two paths in a wood uh yeah, something thanks. like that thanks, Bobby. I don't know Bobby. yeah uh, but when having these kids uh and my son off now to school uh to college, you know, I know his friends. Your son's in college. Okay. Yeah, I know his friends. I was picturing two like toddlers, eighteen and fourteen. Oh, I was literally I picturing like a like a. No, I got married a young. Crib. Okay, we, uh, and so, um, but I love his friends, and oh, I that's they, cool. I know them. They've been in our apartment, you know, since they were ten years old. Right, Some right. of them, and I and I can see how how there's a path where they can all stay friends for a really long time. Yeah. And then I'll feel sad if there's a distance. Oh, you will. Because they're these, really these five. They're like your friends. Yeah, these five guys who've really been brothers to each other. Yeah. Do you feel like they're your friends? I mean, like, you're not calling them on the phone, but do you feel like, I have a friendship with Yeah, I mean, I'm. Gary and David. I had a really lucky thing, and again, I'm going to turn this back to you, but I I had a, a a lucky thing that our house would be the one a lot of the time that um, late at night they would all come back. That's a very so cool thing. I could wake up like my fa- one of my favorite scenes in all the movies, and I've, I might have mentioned it once before on this is that chocolate cake scene in Quiz Show. I've never seen Quiz Show. So in the middle, Sorry. first of all, that's I know. Horrendous. I'll leave. I'll can going. That's horrendous. The headphones are on the table. I'm that's gone. Essential. It's essential, horrible. I've seen parts of it. Yeah, you got to watch it. But there's this great scene where very late at night. Um, that Ray Fiennes goes to his parents' house in the country and um, they don't know he's coming and the dad comes walking out and the son has taken a piece of chocolate cake that's like the uh, Niplu Ultra of, of chocolate cake, just the most incredible, yeah. you know, just the apotheosis of all chocolate <laughs> cake. cakes. It's beautiful. And the coldest kind of milk in a glass bottle and they just talk, the dad and the son have this uh, existential and warm conversation at, you know, three in the morning. And, like, I get to have that with my, uh, Sammy and his buddies. And so, yeah, That's I feel, incredible. and then his friends uh, will talk to me. So when they had something going on in their lives, that they would they would talk to me. So, yes. Uh, yeah. That's incredible. Uh, they're great guys. And, um, uh, yeah. And hopefully they will stay friends. Well, my, my partner, the guy I make movies with, uh, has been my best friend since I'm 15. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you, ha- you understand, like, that continuity with those people. It is yeah, amazing when you stay... I mean, literally two of my best friends are one of them I met when I was 10. But I've heard you talk about, like, who you were. The, the reason I'm even I'm, I'm focusing on this, a couple things. One, I've read in interviews where you name different female comedians as, like, these big influences yep. on you. Which I think is, I'm, I'm sure, true, but also weirdly... Weirdly, like, kind of ghettoizing and saying, like, well, as a woman comedian, I'm just going to really mostly name these women. Because what I hear, right. I, the way even you just described the way you grew up, I mean, it's really so Woody Allen in <laughs> Radio Days. It's a bit, and, little Radio Days. Less cute, but, but yeah. But, but even, even when, you know, that Jesse told this incredible uh, moth story and uh, the first one I, I listen to all of them but the first one or whenever you told it the the, the, the googling one. Oh yeah yeah you know uh, the structure of that is so 
to me nods to like Woody's stand up in the way that you'll repeat you repeat a line like three times in the way that he says, you know, um, Mondays, no moose hunting, Mondays, Thursdays. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, did, was was Woody a big thing to you? Or is it just like that you uh, shared uh, like commonality of... Um, you know, um... I mean, forgetting now what we know about... I'm just, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We could talk about... I, I'm open. I like Woody Allen. Like, it's fine. And I also think he did horrible things. But I... But the movies are incredible, and uh, I will continue to separate them. <clears throat> you know, growing up, uh, it's actually uh, we did not. I was not super aware of Woody Allen growing up because Woody Allen was my aunt's. My aunt was Woody Allen's first wife, and so there was like a like like my there wasn't really Woody Allen in the house. What, what Louise Lasser? No, 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 no. One before a high school, he had a high school. Marriage. Oh, before Louise Lazar, a high school sweetheart. Um, so anyway, we didn't like, we didn't really watch Woody. Um, and so you didn't listen to those albums? No, growing up, I didn't. I didn't. The first, like, you know, I think the reason I probably say, I'm trying to think now why I would name female comedians, especially. I mean, I, I think often I'm asked that way, um, like other female comedians, but I do think. Like there's, I think a lot of Janine and I think Janine, um, there is something about seeing women being funny that as a woman, um, you're just like, oh, I can, I permission, permission. And also, um, I think women do on some level and maybe again, maybe it's just specifically Janine. There was something about watching, like I remember some HBO special or some special that would air on Comedy Central. It must have been off of HBO because we didn't my parents this day don't have HBO um, they just got a DVR like a week ago but um, there's something about her conversationalness and her like the things that she would talk about and and the personal stories I was more into people telling stories like that like just genuine very like I, I could be having lunch with you and you're telling me a story versus and not putting this kind of humor down it just didn't speak to me as a kid, it actually speaks to me more now, but I was never into like joke jokes. Um, like that didn't get me as much, but Groucho Marx. So actually, I was going to say, what about absurdist, like absurdist? Humor? Groucho actually was the first. And it's funny cause I'm actually writing a book. Uh, I have a book that's going to be coming out in like two years. So I can't promote the book yet, but it, it will exist. I know it's, you're writing a book. That's I'm writing fantastic. a book, but, um, I mean, I was just writing about this. Is the book morning. a memoir? Uh, it's like, oh, it's like personal essays. It's not really a memoir, but it's like, you know, whatever my version of what David Sedaris does, not to compare myself to David Sedaris in any way. But Groucho Marx. You can. You're a humorist. I'm a humorist. Uh, well, well, if I could have a quarter of Sedaris's book sales, I'd be psyched. Uh, an eighth. But Groucho was like the first thing that I was obsessed with, like comedy wise. So less Woody, more Groucho. Like that. And I was thinking about it because I was trying to write this essay about it. I think, aside from Groucho Marx and the Marx Brothers, to this, it stands up. They're hilarious. I think what I loved about Groucho so much was, even though he was running around with Chico and Harpo, so much of the structure of his comedy is just asides and commentaries kind of to himself or to no one. Yeah, the one, like the one sane person. The one sane and- person and... I was so alone all the time as a little kid, like, again, up until I met my Bridget Bardot friend, that notion of, like, 
oh, well, he's just thinking funny things and saying them to no one as he's having a conversation, as he's talking to Margaret Dumont. And that's what I'm doing. And there was weirdly something kind of, um, I don't know, I guess I just related to that feeling of like, oh, you, it was like confirmation that maybe what I'm thinking to myself, even though I have no friends, is really funny. That's great because you, you know knew I mean? being funny was important to you even young. Oh, very. Yeah, you yeah. Want that. Were you fun- in school when you had the one friend? Were you said you're the funny sidekick? Were you like at the lunch table? Would you do impressions of teachers? Would you tell funny stories? I wasn't impressions of teachers. I was more Groucho. I was more like sarcasm and like sarc- like asides. It's I was ho- basically all the asides to what my friend said. See, to me, I don't know if people talk about this as a comparison, but the character Bill Murray played in those first few movies yeah. to me is a take on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I related so hard to him. Yeah. Uh, he and Harold Ramis were so my friend Levino. I make movies with the two yeah. of us. Two of us would just memorize the stuff that those two guys yeah, yeah, yeah. did, and they were the same thing. They were walking through the world sane, and everybody around them was completely completely crazy. But crazy easy for conforming, even crazy because they were ultra conformists, or because yeah. they didn't know the world was crazy. Yeah, or full. Or and our guys noticed that the world. Yeah, I. But I. I really, as we're talking about, it, I'm. It's. It's actually really helpful because I've been kind of trying to write. I'm trying, the part I'm working on in my book right now is like, how did I become a comedian? So it's like actually every question. I'm really interested. Well, yeah, that's what I'm really but, trying um, to figure but out. But I think, like, for me, I really can't express the degree to which I was really alone for a long time. And I still spend more time. I mean, now I feel like I'm okay on friends. But, uh, like, up until, you know, pretty much all through elementary school. And it's funny now, and this was part of the wolf like upbringing, like, my parents didn't take us to like play dates or whatever like there was no there were no kids in the building I grew up in I was in the village and so I lived in this tenement building actually I have a funny story about that but uh there it was all old Italian people what, like you have a funny story about the tenement yeah yeah you yeah can, you can tell it is it is it somewhere people can get it so they don't have to repeat it <laughs> no, no, no 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 but literally my mom and I we just went to the tenement museum you know my you, daughter Used to love the Tenement Museum. I've never, I'd never gone. We both had always wanted to go, and then finally, I'm like, oh, I never, I don't spend enough time with my mom. So we find like this one, and my mom, who's a retired teacher, let me just say, I was like, mom, I'm going back to my job soon, so like, I, I have limited time, like, yeah, and I kind of expect her to be like, well, anytime. It was so hard to book time with her because she takes so many belly dancing classes and. uh Hebrew classes. She's apparently taking a free class. Maybe at the local you're not the only ugly duckling in your family that's become a swan. <laughs> she no, it's kind Maybe. of amazing. She's really blossomed. But anyway, so we went to the Tenement Museum, and uh, you know, and it's it's like a large. You've done it. There's a tour. There's a lot of. It's great. People from all over the country, all over the world, are there to see the Tenement Museum, and you go into this old tenement that is essentially. Um, and everyone's going. Who could live like who this? Who could live like and this? He- and I was like, this is actually bigger than our the apartment I grew up in that my parents still live in. Like, this bedroom's not that bad. This is how we live. This is literally, literally, it was, I mean, it was old, but it was not really any worse than the apartment I grew yeah, up in. Yeah, except they And had, people were like, had, the horror. But they had 16 people in the apartment. Mm, actually, not the tour I was on. There weren't 16 people. It was... Really? They were just like one for one? No, it was like a family with like three kids, which is what I was. Flat screen. 
<laughs> we didn't no. have a flat screen. No, of course. We, I think, like that's. The, I mean, the other thing about I'm not trying to like Dickens up the way I grew up. Certainly, people. I just read uh, the Glass Castle, which like blew my mind. Have you ever read that book? No. The Jeanette Walls. I memoir. know the book. Yeah. But I haven't read it. Oh my god, that's a rough go. But I think Amy, when, my wife, who's a novelist, she's read all her books. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. I just I read. And I was it like, should like I read day. those? And she was like, no, they're very heavy. Glass stuff. Castle blew my mind. But anyway, I think when you, like I grew up in the village and people picture like, oh, artists in a giant bohemian loft. It was like five people in an apartment that was really meant for one or two. But, right. Yeah, that's hard. That's you like uh, the way we think of Russia. That's and, why we. That's yeah, like it was a would, little Russian. So you Russian. would see pictures of Russia in the bread lines when you were growing up and you would think, yeah, yeah, basically. Nah, I don't know. Um, I forget where the tenement museum was coming no, from. No, you got there. You got there. You were saying that you grew, the, the way you grew up. Oh, the lonely, like being alone all the time. Yeah. Oh, and they, so, right, because it, there were no kids in the building. So there was no community of children. And so I really was alone all the time. And it wasn't until I met my friend in fifth grade that I had a person to play off of to know who I was. Wait, this is uh, what I was going to say. So when you started talking about this stuff and I, about high school friendships, um, not to, uh, you mentioned Jeanette Wall, so now I have to, but uh, mention, but the, the new book by Murakami, it's like he oh. wrote it for you. Really? Yeah. It's called, I, I, the, I can't pronounce. Wait, is this a new, new one? Because there was the one uh, like two years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's, it's called, it called? Um, it's called, I'll tell you, Colorless Tsukuru Tazaki and His Years of Pilgrimage. And oh, I already am feeling that um, book. By Haruki Murakami. But it's about a guy. You learn this right away. There's no spoiler here. Who at a certain point made these friends who all of a sudden dropped him. Ooh. And he was someone who was alone. And then he was alone again. Ugh. And everything you're talking about is in this. Really? Murakami. Yeah, you got to read the I'm book. Gonna, I'm going to get First it all, when I leave. I think he's the best, probably the best living. He's good at his job. Writer, but good um, at his job. of this kind of stuff. Yeah. That book is. I'm super interested in it. Yeah, you'll dig it. So you you start to develop without even thinking it's this, your, your comedic voice yep. along the way. Yeah. And then um, when was the first time when you went to college did you perform in any way when you were in college? I know you were, I'm sure you wrote essays and creatives, but did you perform? I um I I got a little bit. I um I my freshman year there was a, a classically terribly named sketch comedy group uh, called Laughing Stock. Oh, that's awful. Oh, awful. Uh, Where'd you go? Vassar. Perfect. Perfect, of course. Um, and I I never like done any anything performing trying out for anything i'd never been on a team like no communal activity whatsoever and um i guess so there was just like that first like desperate need to like give it a go and i auditioned for this group and uh i didn't get in the first year but i got in the next year and um this crazy thing happened where it was so we're writing sketches and uh, we have a show, and they were really popular. You know, it's like hundreds of kids come to these stupid shows, and um, and there were actually some very funny people in that group who I'm who I still know and and still write and do comedy. But uh, like a week and a half before the show, we're rehearsing, and I know I'm nervous, but um, I started I, one night. I'm in my dorm bed and I'm studying, 
and I'm reading uh, Nietzsche, and uh, as one does, and uh, my vision starts to blur, and uh, and I get a piercing headache, and I like start projectile vomiting, and and then my arm went numb, like I couldn't move my arm, and so I panicked, like I literally I went. I remember it was cold and my scarf was on a hook on my door and I couldn't lift my arm. And so I'm like having a panic attack and I run to uh, the nurse and I tell her what's going on. She gets upset. She looks like she might cry because what's happening? Migraine or tumor. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. Well, it turned out to be migraine. I'd never had a headache in my life. The two weeks I ended up having an MRI and it was I was having the most severe migraine a person can have without ever having had it, and it was purely stress. And I think about it was... Perf- about finally oh, it must have getting been to do this. This pent-up, pent-up, like, fear, like, the fear of finally doing this thing. I mean, I was throwing I so up understand. for a week. I was... I really thought I was dying. Because when you get close to the sound barrier, that's when everything starts to shake and rattle. I got close to the sound when barrier. When you get close to the sound barrier, like... That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, oh, that's... A, <laughs> believe me, that'll be vine number 300 or whatever. But <laughs> no, but it is... Um, when you, know, you watch it, and you get they, they get yeah. close to the sound barrier, and it rattles, and it seems impossible, and you can't get there. And then as soon as you're through, you can't even understand what the disturbance was because it's so smooth on the other side. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly... It, it was crazy. I mean... I've kind of had that my whole life, including now. Like, I I think, like, my nervous system, I get very intense physical symptoms around, like, pushing through moments. Of, and usually the physical symptoms precede me being fully aware of how upset I no, am. No, me too. I know. Really? I'll tell you, I, I know, um, like, we were joking or talking before about the fact that I've lost uh, this weight, right? Uh, I know that, like, getting under 200 pounds is a big deal. Yeah. And I've had in the last few weeks just developed like really bad back pain. Really? really dist- yeah. And I like read those books by John Sarno. That's all oh, about yeah. how to like. Howard Stern's guy. It totally. I mean, it's completely has worked for me really? a lot. Because yeah. I have terrible back pain. I'm oh, going. Can I tell you that after this, works. I'm going to an MRI and I'm going to be in the MRI for two hours. We need to talk about that. Okay. We can talk about that. I don't want to talk. We, we can talk about it. I'll just say. It's a whole thing. But are you doing it for your back? No, I'm doing it for my hips. You're going to be fine. My hips do lie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, terrible. Know, the, terrible. Thing is, the thing is that. Um, but no, you're, but you're tensing up because you, you're approaching. It's well, yes, you're breaking I know, through. Breaking through. When you, but you're but, breaking away. I was going to say one thing and people can write letters or say it's fine. Um, there's a lot of science behind this. But um, when you get an MRI and I've gotten them, but uh, the predisposition then is to like treat things. Right, and you then start to think that you think things are worse than they 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 are because sure. of the MRI. Sure, there's studies. Right, no, no, right. But what? Yeah, I mean, look, you're about to start. The, are you about to start the third season? Um, yes, we are. We're literally about to start. Yeah, what's the difference? The same as the migraine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. Oh my god, if I, I I mean I can't. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Uh, do you meditate? I know I you found that guru guy, but do you meditate? Oh, I did find the guru guy. Um. No, I would like to meditate. I'm trying to decide if, if like, I'm going to join the TM wave. But it's like $1,000. You executive produce a big hit show. I know, but it's more... You're still the little girl in the apartment? I, believe me, there's a lot of... Don't you have these things in your life where 
No, I mean, you're a successful person, but you still feel the pang of like, I'm but, still the little part, kid. Yeah, but part of your job, apartment. part of your job as you grow up is to recognize what's atavistic and get rid of it. I mean, if we were to like just do a podcast about what's atavistic, um, isn't it all like, um, do you ever get to the point where you're like, I'm atavistic free? Like, this is all just new and present circumstances with nothing left of the past. You try. You try to, oh, like, man. We, we, don't you try, isn't the gag, to just try to get really comfortable with who you are. Yeah, yeah. And to lose the stuff that's not helping anymore. I, um. That helped once, but doesn't help anymore. Um, did it ever even help once? Yeah, probably. Like, yeah, because, like, yes, um. I was going to say, I know there had to be either a guy or girl at college who was a rock star in that group, who acted superior, who you knew you were better than. And <laughs> she's like, the big smile, like, yes. <laughs> you can immediately know who it is, right? You don't have to say the name, but you immediately know. She's just crying. Come on. You got to at least I'm give not, voice to what you're... Brian's making up lies right now. I'm completely stone-faced. I literally look like a, like a and, nothing sticker. And so the fuel of crushing that person by becoming successful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know that I feel that successful. Yeah. I will say that I've had a better year this year than I've ever had creatively in my life. Well, what I'm saying is, though, the, th the fuel that it gave you at a certain point to, like... Um, you know, the thing for a lot of artists is like, at a certain point, you're unrecognized for it. You're unseen. And then sometimes people who are unworthy and you know it are seen and lauded. And sometimes that can be used as fuel. Sure. But then at a certain point, you got to like let that go. Right. That's one of those things. You got to like Definitely. let that thing go and just try to like let the, you know, work. that's one of those things. And so it. I think you want to, as you go through, it's not just for artists, like it's for everybody. It's like, what's serving me now? I'm not saying there's an easy thing to do, but I think about it all the time. Like, what is serving yeah. me um, and what isn't serving me? And then how can I eliminate the stuff that's not serving me? Because then that means it's not serving the people I love and like the people I work with. Yeah. So No, 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 no. It's true. I think. Um, so look, like if you think meditation would help, then. Saying I to yourself, uh, I can't afford X, or I'm not even going to research, like, just go, like, it doesn't it cost, like, hey, is there a way around it, or is there another? No, 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 the cost is, I mean, the cost, although I definitely have a lot of, a lot of stuff around money that I've been trying to push through in terms of, uh, like, just tremendous guilt around spending money, and I, this week, my husband is actually, like, very, he, he just, he can't believe what I've been doing, but... Uh, I was never into like a purse. Like I don't care. I actually carried a backpack, so I can't show. You. But I got this idea that I was going to buy like a fancy purse, and a fancy purse can cost like as much as like a horse. A real. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I there was a purse that was like so much money, and it, like it was offensive to me, like how much it was, and I kind of forced myself to buy it. This is such a talk about dicky white girl stuff, but I was like. I'm I'm kind of in this place in between like I still feel like tenement girl feelings were like oh I can't and I shouldn't and I won't and then there's the part of me that also feels like I can buy whatever I want because I'm making up for having been poor my whole life <laughs> <laughs> which is also like there's, terrible financial advice to give yourself no, you're never some, making up for it there's some balance I mean there is some balance I'm trying to find the balance I'm trying to find the balance you can find some I mean there's it's funny there's this guy who gives 
um, advice on the radio about money. And one thing he talks about is this guy Dave Ramsey, and I I listen to him sometimes. Like I listen to his show, and uh, because I um the stories that come in to his show of people who get themselves in terrible trouble and the way he helps. Oh, them it's come all up with a plan psychological. To, well, it's just crazy all the stuff. When, no, like really people who've just gotten themselves in a bind. But even he says just in a simple way, just say to yourself, "I'm going to save enough." And then I'm going to give and I'm and then I'm going to spend. And if you like know you're going to do those things like for you, that would be an easy way for you to know I can I can spend this because I'm going to save that. No. Yeah. Why is that impossible for you? Um, It's <laughs> it's not that it's impossible for me. I would say I am terrible with I'm not terrible with money so much as I'm terrible with math. You can't even say the word without stuttering the word money. <laughs> You're like I'm terrible with no 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 no. Well, I was trying to think of whether to say numbers or math, but I'm terrible with both numbers and math. And my guiding principle with money has always been just don't spend it. And if I just don't spend it, that will carry me through, and it has carried me through. However, what an adult human does who is in charge of their life is you actually keep track and you make a budget and you're adding and subtracting and you calculate because what is it about you that needs to be in some state of deprivation uh oh, oh my god i'm gonna throw this donut right at you you're going right up to 300 how dare you why are you saying insightful things i hate you so much um I'm state of deprivation comfort yeah. Um, yeah, but why, I asked, but, but, but why is that? No, but like, because it, I, don't you want to get to figure that out? Like what, why, like what, why does that make you somehow more comfortable to feel like you're depriving yourself? Well, I think obviously because, uh, you know, it, like Mike, so my husband's name is Mike. I'll stop saying my husband. Mike always makes fun of me for having class issues. Uh, and he's like, you and your class issues. So I have like huge class issues. And some of them I think are legit. And like, I do have cl- class issues. Uh, and I don't think like spending a ton of money, like my issue with the cost of TM has been more a class issue than an I can't afford it issue in terms of like, why do I need to pay you a thousand dollars, uh, for like teaching me to sit still in a room? And that's probably wrong in terms of assigning value to things. I'm way more valuable than the purse for sure. Um, I'll just say that the purse I bought is worth two TMs. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. But because then the reason it matters uh, is that to, you want to continue to to like whatever you use to become the artist you are. You're writing this book now. You you want to get to the, even the next. Yeah. No. 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 But definitely the like all of the stuff that we're talking about in terms of like the money stuff and and identifying in a certain way in my relate like the relationship to money right is always just kind of like uh it's it's a i, I can't like language is failing me but like your relationship to money is, is usually the same as your relationship to everything else in your life on some level so yeah i think a feeling of like i identify as uh like this kind of scrappier person who has always gotten by without these things and in some ways i think there's also thinking about protecting your family and like if I if I suddenly have things that they don't have that doesn't feel good either or if I want them I'm in some way betraying that right I mean that's a very common thing I think uh, but not to like put myself on a pedestal about how self self depriving I am like I've also come to really like nice things <laughs> Sorry, good 
Well, you should because you're doing. Which is why I'm surrounded by donuts right I now. I mean, you're doing good work in and in a field that rewards good work uh, in various different way, You know, in various different ways. Um, what so you are the executive producer uh, and head writer for Amy Schumer show? Yes, and. Uh, I know that growing up, you wanted to write for Saturday Night Live. Yes, and you and and I'll skip the stuff that you can hear of Jesse's just for free online. I'm not going to run through the narrative journey of it. So, her SNL story is um, on the the moth yep. dot com, and you can watch her tell it and hear her tell it. But the in in short beats because here's what I want to get to. Um, that was all about, in a way, um, Lorne Michaels in reaction to you, right? Um, it, well, in what sense? Because it well, wasn't really so specific to Lorne. I mean, you just talk about sitting next to him and watching him and <laughs> his reactions basically determining whether you were happy or not. Well, <laughs> I know I'm pulling it out of thin air. No, 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 no. Well, I guess, you know, it was less like Lorne. It was really, I mean, obviously some of it's Lorne and, and if you're a comedian and a writer and you're near Lauren, you want Lauren to like you. But it was also, that was really more feeling like the whole room and like the entire cast and the entire writing staff and everyone. It wasn't, it was really more feeling like the group. Am I pleasing this group? Um, and Lauren obviously is one sort of special member of that group. But I, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really, it was the experience was so incredibly valuable, and it's a journey that continues, but learning no fear. Well, but so this is the, the, the question is, and it's similar, Marin and I talked about one piece of this, but in your gig now, you know, you kind of are the Lorne. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. So stupid. Well, why? What does um, that mean, it's stupid? Well, it means, you know, it's funny, like the first season, uh, it's the room uh like me so it's me and amy schumer and then our other ep dan powell who's a tremendous guy and um dan and i actually worked together at comedy central for years dan was my assistant when we both worked in the development department at comedy central and and then we had to be like five writers or so and um like the first time some issue came up or like a decision had to be made or something i don't even remember what it was but I remember there was like a moment and it was me and Dan and Amy and I, it was just, it was like the first time I realized like, oh, there's no grown up to act. Like you have to make the decision. We're the people like we're, and I, and I would imagine, I mean, I don't have kids. I imagine like there's, it's the same moment as when you're like, I'm the dad Those are or I'm moments. the mom. Yeah. It takes a long time to understand, to I, feel comfortable. That was the like closest that. I could imagine to having that moment of like, oh, I'm the person, I'm, I'm the person. And our, now I imagine by, so I want to back up to one thing, which is, so you were, when you were a development exec. Yeah. You were doing stand-up? I started to do stand-up when I was an exec, yeah. While you were working there. Yeah. Right. And uh, once you started really doing it, so and when you were a development exec and you were dealing with like shows and the thing, was it killing you? Um, yeah. When, when you were like a shadow, like Julia Cameron in the artist way would call like a shadow artist. Oh, when I saw, when I first like read the term shadow artist and I was still at that job, I was like, holy shit, I'm a shadow artist. <laughs> I was totally a shadow. Were you a shadow uh, artist? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Completely you, but had in that feeling. Music? In music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was completely. Shadow artist. I was a shadow artist for 10 years. How old were you when you started doing stand-up? 
Well, I started doing stand-up when I was 26, but I didn't leave. I started at Comedy Central when I was like 22, 23, and I didn't leave until I was 30. You didn't, right. I was 32. I was 30 also when yeah. Dave and I wrote in our first, yes, yes. Uh, in our, our first script. So I know what a uh, We thing, know everything about yeah, each other now. Torture, right? Just, it's torture. And, and torture. telling yourself that, that's, that you're, it's fine and all you want to do is nurture the talent and yeah. and then knowing you were like letting yourself down. Um, How'd you break? So, I mean, you know, you tell another funny story about this, but about which I have two specific questions. But how did you actually break through? Like, how did you actually break through uh, to really force yourself? Just because people always ask about this. They that people are, are listening who are in, in and I didn't necessarily be a comedian. Oh, sure. But they want to They're you know, someone's in their car or they're taking a walk and they're like, they know this other life that somewhere they think they could be living. I what helped you to do it? I mean, when like talking about this and like, I would love to like sit with you one day and have like a nine hour conversation about just shadow artist stuff, because I yeah, think it will. is. Yeah, no, obviously. Uh, um, I, I just, people do ask me that a lot. Like, you know, and I'm sure obviously tons of people and you're doing a tremendous thing with your vines. As I told you the other day, like, Thanks. I think. I, I want people to be able to do it so much. Like, it really matters. I, I, in terms of what, I mean, I went, I went to therapy. A lot of it was tied up in um, stuff about my dad and feeling like, um, you know, he's, he's a shadow, shadow artist. I right. mean, he would probably think of it differently, I think. I mean, I, I feel like in some ways my dad is more of an artist than I'll ever be in that he writes every day and he kind of, you know, he's written his whole life and he just, for reasons that I maybe I've touched upon, was never able to kind of just decide. Have you shown his stuff to other poets? He, you know, he kind of is, he knows other poets. Like he, there was like a little bit of a touching on a community via one or two people. Like he's, he's self-published two books. But um, anyway, the point is, I guess like a lot of it was, so much of it was tied up in that psychology. And so a lot of it really was therapy. A lot of it was I by working at Comedy Central and going and seeing stand-up and starting to do it bit by bit by bit by bit. And then just kind of, I think, realizing, like, I don't want to... I think I turned down... And, you know, actually, okay, I have one thing. I got offered I got offered to write on Letterman. Um, like, huge, I, huge did, uh, I did... I did... I was doing Best Week Ever, and I would literally go at 8 a.m. I was the first interview of the day, and then I would run from VH1 to Comedy Central. And I mean run. Like, I ran. Uh, and I would show up to work in, like, full makeup that I never wore. And that was how I was, like, living. I was having double life, shadow shadow artist or whatever. And uh, the head writers for Letterman, like, saw me do stand-up or on TV or something. They were like, please write a packet. I stayed late at my office. I, I mean, it was 11 o'clock at night. I'm like typing. I'm like, this is never going to happen. Dropped it off at, at Sullivan Theater. Get the call. Like, they want to hire you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, I, you know, they, when you get hired on these shows, almost always you're on a 13-week contract, right. right? So it's like you could go and be there for 13 weeks or be there for eight years. Maybe it'll be 13 weeks. I remember I went to my dad. And I told both my parents, but I told them 
I got offered a job to Ryan Letterman. I'm trying to decide what to do. And he's like, well, how does it work? I was like, well, it's a 13-week contract. And my dad said, I'll never forget it. <laughs> that doesn't sound like much of a job at all. Mm. And I turned it down. Oh, no. I turned it down. Which really hurt me more when I later found out that Letterman had that affair with that into the proof. Because it could have been you? Because it could have been me. I really always had a huge... I was like... I, I had been... You know, part of me also had heard at the time, like, you know, Letterman is... It's like a really rough go, and it's a slog, and he's not super interested in no, the writers No, but that's not why anymore. you passed. That's no. not why you passed. Oh, definitely not. No, no, no. But but in terms... But I, if I'd known I could maybe have sex with Letterman, I think I would have taken it. But uh, no, and then I, I, I fell apart after that. I went after I turned it down. And I think in retrospect, probably everything happened that was meant to happen, but it destroyed me that I let those words, like... Because then I... I was so beholden to my dad's opinion and so it was, and it was all him projecting like no, you know, this and his choice was the right choice. His choice was the right choice. And I, I just was like, I can't, it just, it was, it was the laser into the death star or whatever. It like penetrated to the center of my head over the course of a year or two. And then I couldn't do it anymore. Did you start journaling? Did you do morning pages? Uh, I, you know, I never really read the artist's way in that. Like, I, I remember I got to shadow artist, and that was all I needed. Yeah, yeah you were good. You were I on your way. I was all set. I was so, all set. Okay, so you broke through that. I get it. I can totally see how those words would have resonated, and it would have hurt. But and think you, about also, you know, I later when I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like no, that, mo- <laughs> that moment in um, a movie, which I I didn't love the whole movie, but... um. The movie based on the was Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, Revolutionary Road. Yeah. And that moment, the moment where the plan falls apart after one person kind of shits on it. Remember? Where, I, I, didn't, I know the book. I didn't see oh, the movie, oh, but so I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they, they're going to be free and they're going to be artists. And then like there's one offhand comment and it and it's enough it's to enough destroy the whole thing. It's enough to let it destroy the whole thing. And yes. I think... I mean, I, if there's anything of value to offer to people, I think it's like those little, those little comments are bullets. Because we look sometimes for people to tell us why our dreams are crazy because then we can abandon them and it's their fault, not ours. Sure. And I also think the paralysis of indecision when you feel so, comp- should, do I stay in my job or do I go, do I stay and you're, you're caught in a back and forth and back and forth. You're just looking for anything that will break the sort of deadlock that you're in. And more often than not, people will urge you to do a safe thing, I think. Yeah, it's, um, this isn't about grown people, but when, when uh, you have to be very careful if you're in high school and you're a girl and you ask another girl if you should cut your hair. <laughs> That is very true. I got completely mean girled about my hair in junior high school, and it took years to get past it. You, you know, you have to really be careful about that. So careful. Because their advice might not be coming from the best place. Nope, no. Nope. It's just possible. That no, it's and I think people also really do more than you'd think. I think people, uh, there are so many shadow artists running around, and they, I, I, I feel like I'm shitting on people, but I, I think people... It's hard to see someone else go for it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a theme in, in so many um, movies and in so many uh, great books, you know, where 
it's clear that the person, and we can always see it when it happens to somebody else. It's very hard to see. You know, when someone tells you a story, oh, my older, whatever, brother or my aunt said, this is crazy. And you go like, no, of course you should do that thing. We are. But when it's you, it's very hard to see it from above. Yeah. And I mean, I still, I mean, I still have moments. I mean, and maybe as a fellow, I got started when I was 30 person. I don't know if you ever, I often feel like, oh God, what if I had, where would I be if I could have like had guts to start like Sarah Silverman did when she was 18 or 19 or I'm yeah, playing her times, name out of a hat. But at times I wish. Like, oh, if I, like, I think certain doors closed to me. Well, I wonder, you know, I, I mean, I, as a performer, I don't think that's true. I don't know what doors would have closed. Would it be coming well, being a VJ? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I was referring to. Yeah. I can never be a VJ now. But right. how did you know that's what I meant? <laughs> that's, that's totally yeah. what I meant. I mean, I think... Uh, no, but I, I do. I, I f- talk about the like things you abandon, like atavistic stuff. Like I... That is something I'm trying to let go of. It's like, oh, I'd be so much further along. Well, so that's... And, a- and like the Lena Dunham phenomenon, you know, of like, I think you could... There should be a whole kind of psychologist that just helps people deal with their feelings around Lena Dunham, who, like, is a, the loveliest of people and so talented. And I can't even imagine what it's like for her to handle on a daily basis the feelings that she must evoke in people of jealousy and the feeling and a lot that of I, you just invoked. Uh, evoked in me is just the joy of knowing the pull quote I now have from this episode, <laughs> <laughs> which is, we're going to clips to BuzzFeed. Oh, man. A Schumer producer says. Oh, God. No, but lifetime. I... No, I you mean... You know what I mean, though? I mean, I think when that show came out, I there was a moment where I knew I was going to have that conversation with every person who does anything like what we the do. Show, tiny, for months. The movie. Even just the movie. When people say that they think Lena, that like, look, girls is not. I'm a 48 year old man. Girl was is not sort of conceived of for me. But that movie, Tiny Furniture, is the most brilliantly yeah. written, directed, good. acted movie. It is a, that is a fully formed talent. Yeah. That's like, like you know, that happens. A genius like that, like most. She's a genius yeah. by any definition. Yeah, she's Lena killing Dunham it on all levels. Is a genius, and is working at a level that most people can we'll never, never understand. Yeah, they won't understand it. What she's doing uh, is something way beyond. It's like you know, Prince made his first album and played every instrument when he was like seventeen. <laughs> there are just those things happen, but we can't compare yeah. ourselves to that, or we should just all go home. No, no, I know. I mean, there's like, and there's obviously so many other kinds of Lena type people that you could freak out about, like, how am I not this? But I just, it was so interesting to be in that cultural moment uh, of everyone kind of having to, I think, like, go through that that lesson of like, well, a, it's like that's just a specific kind of you can't you can't be her more than you can be anyone else but i i do think it just was so huge so fast yeah i w- the only thing i wish is that i would have thought of, uh, that if in college i would have realized uh clearly enough that i could be a writer yeah. i would be better at it like i would have started writing yeah. every day you'd when have I an extra 18, 10 15 years of and practice. i would have really worked for so you know worked at it but course we needed to live these lives so i have just a couple more questions yeah. and i'll let you go no. um which is so you do this you know you've gotten yourself to a place where you are a performer you've performed um for big audiences and on your own specials and now you are executive producing and creating the show and i know you wrote these incredible uh 
incredible skits or sketches or whatever you call them, the newsroom thing you wrote. Oh, with. I didn't write. Did the you write newsroom. that with Amy or no? No, who wrote it? I want to give credit where credit is due. Jeremy Beitler wrote the the brilliant. food room. The food room is brilliant. Jeremy Beitler, who just got poached by SNL, they took him from you guys. We're so pissed. He's such a brilliant writer and actor. And, um, but he, no, he wrote that sketch and he, he I want to name like four other sketches and have you be like, no, I didn't write that I one know, either. No, no, no. I love you're telling the people. You made the show. So yeah, we made matter. the show and I, and he floated out the idea and we pounced on it and there was like a discussion in the room of doing, are enough people like as obsessively hateful of this show as we are? And then we decided we didn't care. But then the answer was yes. And Josh is just so incredibly good, uh, Josh is so incredibly good on the show. Oh, he's, I mean, he's like a gift. Um, he he killed it. Yeah. Yeah, he just he's, acted in a movie and uh, that uh, Dave and I produced and, and just is incredible. We're like obsessed with him. Yeah, we're obsessed with him. terrific on every level. But um, are you getting out of this, like, everything that you want, even though it's not your show and you're not out in front of it? Um... Yeah, I think so. I mean, in what sense? Like, like you know, you're a performer I'm... too, and so you're giving up half or three of your year in a way where where you're, you know, where where it's Amy's really the person sure. out front. Yeah, is is it because she's so great that you're comfortable doing it? Is it just that this is something you've always wanted to do, be the person creating as opposed to performing? Um, I wouldn't say that. That's the case I think it was more like I feel un- incredibly lucky that it kind of just ended up happening and I, I knew Amy from stand up just for years and then she had this pilot opportunity and wanted me to write on it and it kind of just evolved and, and I feel like luckily even though Amy and I are, are different there's enough overlap in like the stuff our voices and the stuff that we think is funny that I I feel tremendously fulfilled writing. Yeah, I mean, you guys are making a great. Show. I mean, you're making a show that's really cutting through and is really thanks, like, Brian. Well, no, I mean it is, um, and uh, and is like right. I think you know in a different way than Lena's show, but is really on the zeitgeist all the time and becomes part that's of awesome. our the conversation. What's it been like to watch from up close this rocket ride that she's on? Um, God, it's really interesting. Um. It's kind of, it's kind of amazing because I, I've never been that close to it before. Um, and I think, you know, from day one, like, uh, I find Amy so inspiring and, um, Amy, and I think in some ways there's been things where I'm like, oh, that's the thing you're supposed to do in the sense that she has a certain level of like, impetuousness and I mean that as a compliment where she doesn't overthink what certain things and I think I get I think in some ways what's stuck in my head some things that have gotten me stuck as an artist sometimes are overthinking and I think Amy has an incredible ability to just trust her instinct well I was gonna say it seems like she's one of those people and I had this one personal experience that told me this that she's like one of those people who like the way in the movies the very best of the uh, like the sergeant, not the colonel, but like the sergeant in the battlefield, when the adrenaline's flowing, it seems like she can think incredibly quickly. Yeah, and come to the right choice. Yeah, um, that's what it looks like from the, the outside. Because I remember before she was on Last Comic, 
um, when I did stand up for a little while, I was once on a show that she was on. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, it was one of the, like one of the times I got paid for some little basement show that Andy Engel booked on Seventy Second Street uh, and yeah. Broadway. Did you ever do that little weird room he had? Yeah. And I did that room a bunch, and Amy was there, and she didn't. She wasn't great that night. Like I saw her, and I was like, I, I don't. Uh, I saw she was charismatic, but I didn't think like that's a great comedic mind. Right, right. And then six months later, she gets last comic or, or and I watched and I wa- I was like that woman's gonna be a superstar yeah immediately she was so incredible and I watched how she would take those premises and and grab it and I thought like so it must be so much fun to play like play catch with her yeah in that way it's an I feel like I sort of the luck and joy and fun of like getting just I think I have the best job in New York right now and uh yeah she I think and I don't know. I mean, she would probably say like, well, I'm sure she would maybe bat it away, but maybe she wouldn't. But there's a there is a oneness between like her and her gut instinct that uh, I, I think is that's like this insane gift. It's like the thing like Michael Jordan has or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's flow. Two more things. What have you learned um, about human nature by watching people react to her success? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the people you guys have been like. What have you learned just watching how either fellow comedian, just like being that close to it and seeing the way people either change or stay the same? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Amy um, is like a very loyal friend and... um, I I have yeah, but I'm not even asking about her. I'm saying like the people. No, but I I think, but I I guess, but I'm saying people. To my knowledge, I I haven't really seen anyone like tweak out. Uh, oh, that's, and I so think that's some a good of thing it, to have learned. Okay. Yeah, I think some of it again is because she's she she's just. It's not like all of a sudden like oh who's the queen of England over here? Like I she I think you know she's she's. I mean, Joan Rivers just died, and everyone talked about how Joan Rivers just always was like, she just loved comedians and like being with comedians. And even when it's like, oh my God, you're Joan Rivers and you're a legend, she just always wanted to hang out with comedians. Amy's like that kind of person. Oh, yeah, the couple times I've hung out with her, she's the cool. I mean, she's, there's no question, she's the coolest. You know, she came in with her sister to the cellar. Yeah, yeah. And had this argument with, uh, not a fun argument with a comedian about some poker thing. Oh, yeah. And just immediately was like, Cobbleman, will you just please set him straight? And I did for her sister, I hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were just... Oh, yeah, her sister's obsessed with poker. Yeah, so they brought, they called me into this thing, and I had to, like... Yeah. And she's just, she's the best. I mean, she's yeah. cool. It's clear. Cool um, cat. When you tell stories about your life, I just have to know, like, when you told that one story, the blonde girl... Yeah. And the ex-boyfriend... Yeah. Did they contact you afterwards? You know, um, I, I, her, no, uh, but I don't really know her. Yeah, but she knows you, she has to know you got up and you've been doing material on her for 10 years or whatever. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what she thinks. Did she ever become a performer? I don't know. I don't know. Her name is Lena Dunham. Her name is Lena Q. Dunham. Uh, and then my ex-boyfriend, um, I told, he actually... He did send me an email and I, you know, he's like kind of around, like, it's fine. He's, he's married now. I'm married now. Like if we see each other, it's fine. But he did send me an email after I had done that story. I performed in Central Park at Summer Stage and he sent me an email. I was like, heard about your story at Summer Stage. Perfect use of poetic justice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, poetic justice is always a good <laughs> note on which to end. <laughs> yeah, we segued out of it. So we can segue out of that. I'm just quickly looking to see if there's anything else. But I want to say thank you. You are, are an incredible force for good in the world of comedy. Aww, thanks, Everybody Brian. loves you. When people talk about you, they always say, oh, she's the nicest person. Oh, that's very nice. So, uh, But now I know it's mostly just that you're damaged and trying to make everyone feel better. <laughs> that is essentially it. Before things it. explode or implode. And you can read more about it in the book in two or three years. And You'll come back in two or three years. I'll come back. The Great. podcast will be going on. Jesse Klein, thank you. Everybody watch the Amy Schumer show when it comes back on the air. You can follow Jesse on Twitter at... Jesse R. Klein. Uh, Jesse with an I. Jesse with an I. You can follow me at Brian Koppelman uh, on Twitter. And uh, if you want to email me anything about the show, uh, it's themomentbk at Gmail. Don't send me ideas for movies. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's so great that you say that. I mean, see, because it's also saving people from like, why isn't he responded? Yeah. I mean, don't. it's not just like that you don't want to be inundated. You want to save someone. Like, yeah, the heart. I thought, like, hey, what's going to happen? Why hasn't maybe it yeah. stinks? I won't even know. I'll just take There's the so lead. many other moments for that. Don't make it this don't, moment. Yeah, don't make that this thing. <laughs> this thing. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, Subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.